What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the TorontoGameDoes.com interview podcast show. Uh, this is the show where we kind of talk about or talk to uh, indie developers, uh, sometimes streamers, um, who are located in Toronto or the surrounding areas. And uh, today, joining me is uh, Mark Laframboise and Stephen Smith, who are working on a fold uh, apart uh, from Lightning Rod Games. Sorry, I had to, uh, to catch a breath there in the middle of my inter- introduction. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us, Steven. Good to be here. Um, before, so we're going to be talking about a fold apart. Uh, it's on Fig right now, looking for some funding. We're going to get in depth in that. So if you're listening to this and you want to know, kind of immediately jump to that. You could just go into TorontoGameDesk.com. You'll see it there, or uh, just Google a fold apart Fig, and you'll probably find it. We'll get in depth of that. But before we do, um, Mark, Stephen, why don't we just kind of find out a little bit about yourself? Uh, maybe starting with Stephen. Stephen, um, what kind of gamer? Do you think you are like are you console guy pc guy uh and like how did you kind of start you know playing games and, and get into this world oh man that goes that goes way back um i started out on a commodore 64 and uh but i didn't get a console until genesis and then i didn't get another console until the ps3 so i was definitely mostly a pc gamer growing up and it was pc games that really got me into into gaming uh probably like Jedi Knight and Half-Life the most. Yeah. And Mark, are you kind of in the same boat, PC guy? Yeah, I grew up I grew up playing primarily PC games. Um, so for me it was it was like adventure games. So stuff like the LucasArts and the Sierra Sierra adventure games. Yeah. Um, so like Grim Fandango, um, you know, Secret Monkey Island, all the King's Quest series. Um, which actually, I'm I'm gonna do a little bit of a side here. I we were, I was really geeking out. Um, Tim Schaefer posted a tweet. Uh, earlier in the week about a fold apart saying that he really liked it so i was that was pretty much <laughs> like the, the designer of the games i grew up with um really likes our game and i was i was really really stoked about seeing that yeah we're we're uh because if tim if we'll talk about fig more for sure but correct me if i'm wrong sure. did tim schaefer like launch is he part of the uh it's like is it his thing or is I believe it he's um, on the well, he's, he was one of the, I don't know if it's the co-founders or if he's like sitting on the board. I know it was it was a collective of, of people in the game industry that, that Tim Schafer is part of. Yeah, so he, he is he is affiliated with Fig for sure. For sure. Yeah, and uh, so for me, like, I'm not, I'm not a big PC guy, but I played a lot of those, uh, like Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Uh, a lot of those oh, games good. with friends, because one of my friends, one of my best friends growing up was a big PC guy. And he had, uh, I think there's one called like Dig, I think, right? Oh, I love the Dig. <laughs> uh, I played yeah, that. that was the uh, Steven Spielberg. I think uh, was affiliated with that one. Was I don't it know really? It, it, yeah. Yep. Uh, Steven probably is it a producer or I can't remember what his role was on it. I I don't remember, but it was definitely one of the first names that came up in the credits. Oh yeah. man! So I would just go to his house, and he would just kind of catch me up to the story, and then and then we would just kind of like um play on but i remember having fate of atlantis like i remember specifically like begging my dad to get that for me um so you guys are are primarily pc guys uh and then have how long have you guys known each other like is this kind of like a new relationship that um you've kind of been working with like or at lightning rock games uh or have you guys known each other for a while you just decide one day let's make a game together or or how did this how did this all kind of start 15 years i think we've known each other or 14 14 years yeah, something like that. Uh, we we met in uh, we were in the same residence in university, and okay. um, yeah, I I guess Mark just sort of like <laughs> I was on this basement floor, and Mark wandered down there one day, and I don't know exactly how we met, but I just remember him being there all the time, and then we eventually became roommates, and then like housemates, and we lived together for a while after university too. Yeah. So did you guys go to school for like programming or, or game like game design is kind of a newer thing, but did you guys go to school for kind of like something to do with video games or programming or no? Um, sort of. So I was in for computer science and Mark was in for software engineering. Okay, yeah. And so I, I went I went through and did a, a computer science degree uh, and Mark ended up like liking design side of things more and ended up switching into psychology. And Mark can probably talk more about that. Yeah, I ended up doing uh, psychology with um, a bit of a minor in computer science instead. And then I went out to, after I graduated, we were both at uh, University of Waterloo, and then after I graduated, I went out to uh, British Columbia for 
a year doing some um I was considering going into a master's with some like to kind of study game design and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a couple of preliminary courses that they like undergraduate courses about game design or like game narrative and things like that. So I took that for a year, and then um, we just kind of I, I, the the thing I really wanted to do as a master's thesis was build a game and, and study it. But their focus there was primarily on um, kind of analyzing existing games, not really building new things. Hmm. Uh, so that was where I decided to kind of go into the industry, it, like actual industry experience, instead of going into academia. Yeah, because your your prop your prof even like offered you a job in their lab instead of doing the the degree thing. Wasn't that the case too? <clears throat> oh, I honestly don't remember that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe. But I, this know, was in, uh, I actually don't remember. Well, so so this is all part of like this this when we started talking about making a company, mm-hmm. um, it was back in university, like towards the end, we did a game project together. There was one class that we could find that was related to gaming at all, and it was mostly about like uh, design. It was a digital media class, so it wasn't necessarily catered toward people in computer science or psychology. We just uh, uh, three of us took it as an elective, and so. Uh, our our buddy, another buddy, and uh, Mark and myself, we built like a cross-platform uh, game engine, <laughs> and and actually built a game in that class, which was like so far above and beyond what that class was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started talking about uh, building this company. So I had this fantasy that Mark was going to like uh, go off and get like his his master's and like doctorate in uh, <laughs> in psychology, and then he'd just be like wearing a sweater vest all the time and running like experiments. And then we'd be building games for like, uh, we'd be building games for like parents and children to play together. Um, but that Mark just crushed that dream when, uh, he's like (laughs) this whole academia thing isn't really, they're not even doing the stuff we were hoping it was. So maybe the academia, the academics crushed that dream by not having the right programs. Well, that's the thing nowadays, the, so you mentioned university a few times where did you guys go to university? Yeah. So yeah, Waterloo went, for undergrad, and then uh, Mark. It was Simon Fraser for where I was for that one year of like the extra undergrad studies. Yeah, and so and you mentioned uh, Commodore sixty four that you played. So I'm picturing an age that's mid thirties ish. I'm I'm in my low thirties. Yeah, we're, we're in our low thirties too. Oh, okay, 30s, um, and so um, when I think back to school, like there was one, like you said, there was one video game class. Uh, it was like a, it was I went to Guelph. And it was like, it was actually called like video game programming or something. Um, And it filled up like immediately, like no one could really get in it because it was only offered every other year, I think even as well. Uh, And, and that was it. And nowadays you see George Brown, you see all these schools have their own sort of video game design uh, program from front to beginning or front to start from front to end is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think Steven and I had very similar like like Stephen said, there wasn't really any game focused studies at Waterloo. Yeah. And I know myself especially, I basically every when I was in software engineering, every chance there was to turn a project into a game, I just <laughs> I did it. It was like the only thing that kept me interested. Um, so obviously I, I ended up deciding that I didn't really want to pursue software engineering as like a full time career um, while I was while I was studying. And I was like, because I was just kind of if it wasn't game related, I just I I lost interest in doing a lot of the kind of like secondary, especially at Waterloo, you get into like really in-depth stuff with computer science and things like that, Sure. that I just couldn't, I just, it didn't, it didn't interest me at all. I, I really like doing more of the high-level game design, you know, um, player experience type of stuff where it's very, it's very um, kinematic. Like it's like, I, I really like making, like writing a program and then like testing stuff and seeing results and having like that kind of visual and tactile feedback. And I, I find I enjoy that the most. And sometimes when you're doing, um, a lot of the more complex computer science problems, it's it's a lot more abstract. And I just I I found it was a little bit not what I wanted to do. So that was ended up why I switched. But yeah, I was like I was just trying to find reasons to make games. It was always an excuse. So I think I think there was a few courses where it's like you're not explicitly making games, but it was like it was an elective project. It's like it, demonstrate this ability, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it in the game. <laughs> and it was kind of like what I would always find an excuse to do is kind of. The most fun part of being in computer science for me. And you guys had this idea of of starting a company in the tail end of of university and stuff like that. Um, so, did but did Mark? Did you say that you went to Vancouver for your masters? 
Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't ever start the masters. Oh, you um, never started. Was, okay. No, no. They, they. I was doing like a year of undergraduate stuff that they, because their masters program. Most of the people going into the masters program come out of their undergraduate, uh, interactive arts and technology program. Right. And so my my background in psychology, computer science had like there's some undergraduate courses there in their third and fourth years that they wanted me to take before considering going into that. Um, so I took those courses and then it just it, it didn't seem like it was going to be a good fit for. What what they kind of had envisioned for a master's program and what I wanted to do. That's crushing so Stephen's dream of you having a PhD. Yeah, that's that's crushing Stephen's dream of me being <laughs> in a tweet suit teaching, um, teaching people. But yeah, um, so yeah, we went out to both of us end up actually ending up in Vancouver. Uh, so after I made that decision to not pursue like like an academic focus, um, I decided to just get into the industry, and so I did what many people do and started in QA. <laughs> So I was working at um, a place called Propaganda, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. But it was a it was a Disney-owned studio at the time. They were working on a Pirates of the Caribbean RPG, which was actually really cool. Um, oh, that's that's like famously that was famously it, canceled, wasn't it? Like that was a yeah that, yeah yeah. <laughs> it was a big deal because I think it had been under development for I believe five years or more at that point. Um, it was the Armada of the Dam. There's actually I, I remember seeing a cool video someone put up where they actually had footage from the game and it's it's on youtube it's talking about like the development cycle and some of the problems that maybe occurred with it yeah I just, um i, I mean just, i wasn't uh... there for very long like i joined the team at the end of august 2010 and the project got canceled in october so i was i was there i had a uh, i think it was 16 week contract and i worked six weeks and then the project got canceled and um then they it was kind of cool though because they paid out the rest of my contracts so i ended up getting, <laughs> I ended up getting paid more for not working than I did when I was actually there. Which is, <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, I, I just found a GameSpot article from 2010 about um, canceling. Yeah. I remember when that was canceled. That was like a big deal. Um, yeah. And then, Stephen, did you were you like in a similar boat? Did you did you like do QA stuff at a developer or or was it something? No, different? no. I I I just went straight into software engineering. Um, so, but it was it was really hard because at that time. Like this is twenty two thousand late two thousand nine uh, when I started looking, and the the games industry was like kind of falling apart. So I'd like interview at a company, and then soon after they'd like go bankrupt. Yeah. So uh, I got an offer from EA, but the the best they could do was give me a three month contract and no relocation, and it was in Vancouver, and I'm like fine whatever i'll i'll take it and i'll i'll move out there for this contract because i was like you guys will love me you'll hire me full time it'll be it'll be fine it'll be fine um so i uh, did a cross country road trip with my family and just drove out there and they dropped me off for my first day of work uh which was which was fun and so i started working on fifa online 3 which is like their free to play soccer game and I worked there for a while, and yeah, and then they did offer me that uh, that job, and I was super excited. Um, but then all of a sudden, FIFA Online Three got canceled, <laughs> and so my my manager calls me and is like, "Yeah, you know, uh, you know that job we said uh, we'd get you. Well, we've got to find jobs for all the regular full time people right now." Um, but I I got um, I got really lucky because. Um, not too long before that, um, they'd opened up the mocap studio, uh, which at, in Burnaby, which is the motion capture studio that does all the motion capture for all of the EA games worldwide. It's usually closed off from the rest of the campus. Um, and so they were doing an open house and I wandered in there with, with, um, another engineer. And I just, I guess I said the right things to the right people because I started chatting with them. So, while the uh, while the FIFA Online Three ship is sinking, I'm jumping ship over to the motion capture studio, um, and that was uh, that was a really big break for me because it got me in no more contract work. It got me in regular full time, and so yeah, I was out there for almost three years uh, before we ended up uh, starting our own thing. Yeah, and so let's talk about Lightning Rod Games. So you guys are it sounds like you guys are both in Vancouver working at um different yeah, i was yeah and then i end up um so after after the propaganda was qa i end up working at design for a couple smaller indie studios in vancouver 
um, I end up taking I end up taking kind of like a it, it was kind of mutually beneficial for both of us. So there was a studio that was like, we can't pay you, but do you want to do design work? And I was like, well, I had ten weeks of payment from the contract that got canceled, right? So I was like, sure, I'll work for three months and we'll see if you guys get funding. But that was really cool because I end up gotten I end up getting to do three months of design work. They end up not getting the funding for the project that they were pitching. Um, but I was able to kind of leverage that into another design. Uh, position at another place in, in Vancouver and then they kind of shifted gears um, that company ended up going into uh, it, was, it, was, it was like health gamification mm-hmm. uh, it was a little different direction than some of the projects that they were doing that were game focused and then um, so that so within six months I had been laid off twice and one of the projects just didn't get funding so I had to find a different job so that was a really interesting start to my game development career it was it was, it was pretty rocky and then I was just trying to find anything really in Vancouver. I, you know, I looked in Toronto and Montreal, um, and I the only place the only place in the states I applied to was uh, Disney Interactive in Palo Alto, because I was really impressed. I, I, you know, even though things didn't work really well at Propaganda, I was really impressed with the way that that was handled. Like, you know, they're canceling it, and the way that I felt like the employees were treated, um, not only myself but like the full time employees and stuff, and how much they were trying to help people find jobs and everything like in Vancouver at the other studios. And I thought that was really cool. And there was some really cool perks that you get for working at, at Disney. That I, was cool. I hadn't been to Disney World for a while, so it was kind of neat to be able to maybe get a free pass. Um, but anyway, that was the only place in the States I applied to, just kind of on a whim. And, and that ended up being where I got um, an interview and an offer. And so I ended up moving out to California for uh, almost a year and a half. I, I, I think I was there for 16 months. And, and then it was it at the end of of that sixteen months that you guys then kind of met up and decided to uh, create Lightning Round Games? Yeah. So Stephen and I basically the entire time we we're doing this, we we're, were obviously we were living with each other in the same apartment in um, Vancouver while we were both working there. And then even after I moved down to California, we had been talking and like the whole thing was like we're doing this primarily like we're working for these other companies to primarily build experience because we wanted to kind of understand how the industry worked before we kind of jumped in um, to starting our own studio. And so the whole time we we're talking, we we're like, OK, well, especially especially on my side, because I was I was working on actual projects. Steven's work was much more kind of organic. It was it wasn't as like deadline like, well, I guess it, it wasn't as project based, though. like the, the timelines were shorter, I think, on your stuff. Mm-hmm. So we we're trying to find a time where it was like we can both cleanly come back and start a studio in Toronto. And so for us, it was like based on our timelines and our projects, we we're like at the end of 2012, like we're going to go home for the holidays and we'll just that will be like we'll let our bosses know. Like we I think we both let our bosses know in the summer. Like it was like four months yeah. advanced. Now. It's like months and months. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were telling them in August that we were going to be leaving. So we're like we're going to fly home for Christmas. And then after the holidays, we're going to start our studio. And was uh, when you started Lightning Rod Games, did you know what you're like? Were you kind of, I guess, what was the what was the start of that studio like? Because what a lot of people ask me is just, you know, how do I get into this industry? How do I how do I kind of shake the right hands? How do I uh, meet the right people? Stuff. And we always tell them like go to events and stuff like that. But sometimes people want to start their own studios. So for some, for anyone listening who you know might be interested in starting a studio with their friends, similar to what you guys are saying, like you guys were friends, you traveled and lived together in, in Vancouver and university and all that stuff, <clears throat> and then you decided to make a game studio together. What was the, what was the first kind of uh, first little bit like that? Like just getting up and running and, and deciding what your first kind of game would be. So the way we did it is probably a really bad way to do it. Um, <laughs> so the the, the when we were first okay to go back to when we were first going to start it coming out of school like we didn't know what we were doing and it's really fortuitous that that thing fell apart (laughs) because we ended up learning a lot from the jobs we ended up going out and getting um we could have just stayed in those careers uh but what we sort of did was we we hit a drop dead date uh because when you want to start these things you want to be prepared you want to have the right team you want to have the right idea you want to leave your company, go find money, build your build your project and get a product out as soon as you can. Neither of us were in a really good situation to do that. We didn't have a list of collaborators. Uh, and what it was, was we just spent 
so much time in our existing jobs that we realized if we don't just quit, we might not end up doing this. Mm. So it's more just like, it's the nuclear option for starting a company, really. It's like, okay, our jobs are done. We're just going to do this. We don't know what we're doing right now. Um, I was going to build like a, a simple 2D game engine, and we were just going to start bootstrapping games on the um, on the the iPhone. Um, but uh, what ended up happening was uh, Mark found this incubator called Execution Labs, and we ended up getting scooped up by them uh, basically like a month after we'd finished our jobs. And Execution Labs usually took five-person teams like with an idea ready to go, but they really liked us, so they took us as like a two-person team <laughs> under the pretense that we'll kind of just figure it out as we go along, uh, figure out how to build something out of this. Uh, so that that's how our company started, essentially. Uh, part of the reason was because we had, like, comparatively to some of the other teams at, this, at Execution Labs, we were some of the more experienced people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. So we kind of got a little bit more leeway um, with with our plans. You guys are actually still on their on their website as well, actually. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, Execution Labs was really helpful. Like going through that process, um, meeting the people, especially the people who who ran it and continue to kind of run it now. It, it, we got a lot of industry contacts. We got a lot of practice. Um, kind of pitching or doing public speaking and things like that, which are things that you kind of really don't think about when you're starting a game studio is like oh i need to publicly speak and and but you you pitch like you know especially as an independent studio you're going to pitch to publishers um you're going to want to do talks um so having the ability to kind of learn how to speak um structure a presentation and things like that is actually really helpful and we we kind of got a crash course on those business that business side of things uh, while we were at execution labs it was really cool and uh and so with with the with the fold apart and so if you're listening to this and you uh you know you're listening to the podcast and you haven't looked at fold apart uh simply put fold apart is a platform or puzzle game that deals with long distance relationships uh we'll certainly get more in depth and i don't want to i don't want to um kind of take the the breath away from you guys but where did the where did the concept for fold apart come from um i can speak uh, yeah sure okay go for it yeah i can speak on that a little bit so um one Throughout this whole thing where I was going to Vancouver and then down to California, um, before I even moved out to British Columbia in the first place, I was in a pretty serious relationship with my girlfriend at the time, uh, Robin, and she was pursuing teaching in Ontario. So she, she wanted to stay in Ontario and learn to teach here and, and work in the industry here. So um, we were in a long-distance relationship that for a large part of that. She ended up coming out to Vancouver for a little bit. Um, while I was out there, and then when I moved out in California, she went back to Ontario. So that year and a half, especially when I was in California, we were long distance, and we ended up, you know, getting married during during that time apart, um, which was also part of the reason why I was like, you know, we want to come back and start our studio and and do it out of Toronto, like the Ontario um, area, because that's where my wife was too. So we kind of wanted to be able to kind of all live here and be, not not be long distance anymore, um, but. That whole process, like being apart from from Robin for so long, it was like it ended up working out because now we're back together here. But there's a lot of emotions you go through being apart from someone that you love for that long, and and how you work through it, and a lot of the communication issues or things that you say and don't say to one another. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was something that it, you know you don't really see it in a lot of media, you especially you especially don't see it in games. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really cool story that we could integrate into some type of game that we make um but i it was kind of just something where i kind of floated it to Stephen, like i would really like to at some point make a game about a long distance relationship but i don't really know how i didn't really want to just make a game with a story about a long distance relationship i wanted to have like mechanics um that kind of reinforced this idea of like being apart from someone and so it was kind of just sitting on a back burner for for a little bit and then um steve and i attended gdc one year and we went to the experimental gameplay workshop which has always been like my favorite part of gdc it's like you get to see like these really cool games or trying to do new and interesting like innovative mechanics yeah mine too it's, it's it's always really cool yeah like both of us really really like that so afterwards we were like you know you know it was kind of like well what could we do that would be like something that maybe we could present at egw like what is a mechanic that no one's really done before that maybe we could do and 
and yeah. kind of contribute to the industry that way. It was a really unfair question. We were having brunch one day and Mark just looks at me and he's, it was like after the conference, the, maybe the last day or something. <laughs> and he's like, Stephen, what's a mechanic that no one's used before that would be really good in a game? Yeah, that's pretty I, on the spot of it. <laughs> and then I was like, uh, folding paper like the back of a mad magazine like you you'd have like this world and then you'd bend it around and it would be reconfigured and i don't even know where that came from and then mark talked about um well, I, about wanting to make the long distance relationship game and then we just it, the thing kind of just dropped yeah, for it months like a, it was like a it was just a conversation we had over a meal like after gc it wasn't like a like dedicated thing disjointed yeah. ideas that had nothing to do with each other until one day mark calls me up all excited and he's like i've got it i've got it and it had been so long i, I didn't know what he was talking about <laughs> until until he like stuck a piece of paper in front of the <clears throat> webcam and showed me it's like there's there's one side of the paper is like one world and the other side of the paper is like another world and there's this guy on the platform here and he starts folding the paper around and drawing on the paper and showing me how the person walks across the fold into the other world and as soon as he did that, I was like, oh, okay, there's something here. Like, there might really be something here. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just, it, it went from there. And so, so you kind of lead, led into my like, kind of next question, just in sense of describing a fold apart, like where that name comes from and, and sort of the mechanics. So um, it's, it, it's a puzzle game. Uh, I think I saw on the website that you plan on having like 50, over 50 levels, I believe. And and there's going to be kind of a story, overarching story that involves a long-distance relationship. Um, is, is that how you kind of pitch the game uh, in terms of just like how, how would you, you know, what's the 30-second kind of elevator pitch that you guys mentioned for Fold Apart? Because I feel like I've only described the game, so I want you guys to kind of describe it. I mean that's it. Like the elevator pitch is a it's a puzzle game about a long distance relationship in a world made of folding paper. That's that's our elevator pitch. Um, the kind of scope of the game kind of shifted a little bit from where we originally designed it. Um, originally, it was going to be very self-contained puzzles. So each each it was just puzzle to puzzle to puzzle. It was kind of structured much more like a mobile game. Um, mm-hmm. Where you have like kind of like you go, you do a, you solve a puzzle where like these two characters are separated and you and the goal is just fold the paper to get them together, um, and we were doing that. And it was it, it was really hard to tell like a really meaningful story uh, that way, and we were trying to think of ways, especially since we wanted to have it on consoles and PC, and it just didn't feel like it didn't feel conducive to those environments. Um, so we came up with this idea of like, what if we add like, what if you could walk from one paper to another, like, and it was like could walk through these papers and cross over and uh that really kind of restructured the game and, and i think when yeah. we did that everything kind of started coming together based on that and you started getting some really cool things where it's like walking from one environment to another like seamlessly just looks super super cool once all the art's in there too especially because you get the parallax effects and and the way we're doing it it's it's it looks so seamless that it looks kind of magical and it's really neat. even like i kind of understand how it works when steven <laughs> I, I don't fully understand how the technology that Stephen made works, but it looks so cool in practice that it's just like it feels like magic even for me. So it's really neat. Yeah, the pe- thing people don't realize is that paper stuff's still evolving. Like by by the time this game launches, like it looks a little bit flat and square now, but by the time this game launches, it's going to look like real paper. It's going to be. I'm very excited to get working on that. There's a lot to do. And uh, and when is the, so it's it's planned for all consoles I think I saw right on on PS4 Xbox One Switch and PC. Yep. So I'd say uh, PC and Switch are are development targets, mm-hmm. um, because you've got kind of like the high end and the low end there. So if we can get it working on both of those, then it's going to work on everything, and uh, we're pretty excited about that. And when do you when when is there like kind of a, a release window or release date of anything or yeah, oh, Valentine's Valentine's yeah. Day is our, our main launch window. So we really want to get around Valentine's Day. We think it's really kind of appropriate for the type of game that it is. That makes um, sense. So yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and actually another another Toronto game, uh, Lovers in Dangerous Space Time launched on Valentine's Day two years ago, three years ago on PS4. Um yep. so if the you know the marketing kind of writes itself there. Um and so you guys are working on a fold uh, a fold apart. You kind of came up with this uh what I think a brilliant idea to be perfectly honest. Like I remember I saw the game at Game Dev Drinks. When was that? Like about a year ago in Hamilton. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, um, 
And I don't think I saw the game before that. And and I remember just being like, that's really cool. And it does come from a personal space because I was long, I, my my wife and I started long distance uh, the first year. Um, you know, Kitchener, we were in Kitchener and Toronto. So it wasn't like insanely long distance that we couldn't, uh, you know, see each other every weekend or anything like that but it was still it was still like tough uh so it speaks to me um you you've come up with this great idea um and then it kind of comes down to uh, like what i think everyone kind of runs into is funding like where are you guys going to kind of get the money to help support you to re- before you can release this game um a lot of people take to kickstarter there's also indiegogo although i don't think i really know any games that have ever gone to indiegogo uh and then you guys choose fig um, for those who are unfamiliar with Fig, do you want to maybe just kind of uh, talk a little bit about it and why you went that route instead of kind of the, the I guess, more traditional, uh, at least from what I've seen, Kickstarter route? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'll talk about, like, if you want to know a little bit more about the whole funding uh, situation for Fold Apart, like, primarily our funding is coming from uh, the Canada Media Fund and the Ontario Media Development Corporation. Right, yes. So that is, like, 90, well, probably over 90% of all the funding for the game is coming from those two sources. And any, uh, and, well, and sorry, well, just to interject a little bit, for anyone who's listening who um, who's think about making a game and stuff like that, that is a very common grant that uh, a lot of developers in that I've known in Toronto and, I guess, in Ontario kind of get um, so for those listening, you should probably Google those words. Do you want to just say I, the, the two grants again? Oh, actually, I could, I oh, could sure. probably lay that out real quickly because yeah. that's actually a misconception. So when, oh. um, they're not, they're not, uh, both grants. So the, uh, the Canada media fund is basically a partnership, uh, consisting of a loan, uh, to do the funding. And so what the developer needs to do is the developer needs to provide, uh, basically a quarter of the funding themselves for the project, and then the Canada Media Fund will will fill out the rest of your budget. Uh, the Ontario uh, Media Development Corporation uh, that is a grant, but it's it's smaller, right. uh, and they also help with uh, this thing called the Export Fund, which helps us uh, do business outside of the country. I see. Um, perfect. Thank you. Uh, and so you got funding that way, and then I guess uh, you kind of decided that you would go to some sort of crowdfunding source. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about that that a little bit? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so we were looking at just kind of doing a bit of a crowdfunding, start getting it in front of players directly, um, letting them kind of get more involved in the process. Um, it, 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 in a large way, it's part of marketing, or part of our marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were looking between Kickstarter and Fig, and... Fig was recommended to us by one of the partners at Execution Labs. Um, we were introduced to some of the people at Fig through through that, uh, through Keith, and um, we kind of liked what they do. So Fig is is only games. It's a crowdfunding uh, site that only does game um, crowdfunding. Um, the other thing that's neat about them, though, is they also have um, it's an investment situation. So you they have the ability to have investors. Um, invest directly in the project, and then you do rev- revenue sharing um, afterwards. So a fig campaign, like part of, if you go onto a fig campaign page, um, you can actually see the breakdown. You can see like how much money is coming from a backer, which is basically the same as a backer is like on Kickstarter, where it's like uh, like a consumer basically, you know, giving a certain amount of money for the promise of the game when it comes out, plus maybe some extras and stuff like that. And then there's the other half of it, which is investors, where they kind of invest a specific amount, which is usually a little bit larger, and um, in return, they are able to share in the revenue that generated by the game. So we thought that was kind of interesting. I, I kind of liked the fact that they were game-focused, um, the fact that they they had this ability to kind of essentially get some of that larger value of investment in the, in the project. We thought that might actually work really well. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're just kind of running it. We're we're, I think, a little over 17% so far um, raised of our 45,000, our goal so far. Yeah, right now, uh, as of 7.13 p.m. on on the Thursday, June 28th, yeah, you're at 17%, um, just under $7,800. And uh, I didn't know about that breakdown, actually. Yeah, if you click on the little question mark, you can see what what's FIG funds, which I guess is the investment part, and what's pledges, which I guess is the kind of Kickstarter similar stuff, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Very cool. And um, 
And so you're, so you're on fake. So yeah, if you go to, uh, you know, if you can go to TorontoGameDevs.com, it's going to have, I, I wrote up a piece last night about a fold apart. Uh, including the videos and, and stuff and link to uh, the FIG campaign. I'm sure if you just Google FIG, uh, a fold yeah, apart. The, the, the website is, is fig.co slash a fold apart. Oh, can I get rid of this? When you go on it, it actually is slash campaigns. Oh, yeah, you're right. It does just take you right there. Perfect. Yeah, so if you just go to that, uh, it'll take you right there. Um, and so and so you mentioned earlier you got or you were a big fan of – I forget which one of you said it, Mark or Steven, big fan of Tim Schafer – um the games early on back in the day uh and he retweeted you guys not too long ago yeah, yeah. um what, what tell me what that's like like i everyone kind of has those stories where they're one of their heroes or one of their idols that they they love back in the day uh kind of retweets them or they meet them or what have you um what was that like to see kind of the support from tim schaefer like you know kind of uh i guess advertising a little bit for you for full apart yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's a little surreal. Like, it feels, it feels weird because, like, you, you, you know, you're working in the same industry as them, so it's, it's, it's a little odd to kind of. Sometimes it feels a little bit odd to have like fan, like a fandom, like of other people who, in some ways, are also your peers. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it felt really cool. Like, I was really excited to see that he, he had, um, seen the game, like, like the trailer and everything like that, and. He had seen us at um, Experimental Gameplay Workshop. Actually, we didn't talk about that. So we ended up succeeding in our, our, our goal. We wanted to actually show our game at Experimental Gameplay Workshop, and we got to do that uh, at last year's Game Developers Conference, which is where Tim Schafer had originally seen it. And so he had seen the progress that we'd made now between last March and now with our, our <coughs> new trailer and our new art style and everything. And um, he gave us that call out, which was really, really cool. And uh, and sorry, and sorry, we didn't really talk uh, go that much in depth with the the fig thing. Um, what's the what's the, like this game? I'm guessing is happening regardless how the fig campaign kind of goes. So yep. everyone kind of has a different plan. And I think on the website you can you say you give a breakdown. But what what's the uh, what's the idea behind um, the money that you get from like fig in terms of both the pledges and uh, I don't know if you have to do. Do you have to like say what you're going to do differently depending on how many like investments you get versus pledges? Like, what happens if it's all investors, or what happens if it's all pledges? No, that, that wouldn't. That doesn't affect anything. Oh no. Okay. The money. The money comes in as, as cash either way, so it's it's going towards development. Right. Um. It just kind of it. The only way that it changes is based on after the game comes out and how how much you give to Feg through revenue sharing. Right. Um, but yeah, through development, it's the same. Like we get to forty-five, it doesn't really matter the breakdown um, in terms of what our goals, like what our um, plans with the the money is. So is uh, it so, like uh, Kickstarter, where if you don't hit the goal, then um, yeah, then... yeah. So you have to hit the goal to to claim get any money from it. Okay. Yeah, and so I mean, the the main reason for the fig is because when we created the initial budgets back uh, when we first started the project. It wasn't the game it is today. I mean, you you build a prototype, and then you show it to people, and you get feedback. You get feedback from players. You get feedback from other developers, um, and you get feedback from publishers because we we've talked to a lot of publishers too, um, just in the very early stages of it when it wasn't really anything yet. And and you realize like our design needs to change. We need to sort of change the way it's written. We need to change the way it's presented. Um, and just all these incremental changes to make the game better um, end up sort of like exceeding <laughs> the original amount that we've we'd, we'd budgeted. So basically, like what this fig campaign is for is it's to it's to help it make it's it's to basically make the game what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, so it's, that's uh, it, more more accurate is to offset some of you know the Steve and I have put a, some personal investment into the project too, so we're kind of like. You know, trying to trying to um, kind of get that funding to help us develop it and make it as best as it can be. Because um, yeah, like Stephen said, we we've changed some of the scope and like what we wanted to do with the game, um, which is like I said, the game's going to come out for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. Like this is a fairly low risk um, crowdfunding because it's going to come out either way. So how you know being able to be part of it right now is actually really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially on the investment side, um, but yeah, it's like it's, this is mostly so the things that we're using this money for is is like polish. It's it's creating that extra animations, like kind of doing those little storytelling moments that we want to be able to do, 
optimization optimization for all the consoles and and stuff like that because there's there's a bit of a process to go through whenever you want to release on a console for sure um yeah where like certification and you have to like they have a big checklist they have to go through and so there's stuff like that where it's like you know you gotta get the dev kits um some of them cost money some of them don't but it's it's just a matter of like kind of optimize everything make sure that the release is as clean as possible on as many platforms as possible as early as possible and that's kind of where the money's going to it's to yeah. get it out to as many people as close to each other as uh, as the dates as close to each other as possible, if not on the same launch date. Yeah, I was going to ask because you said uh, you know the the plan is around Valentine's Day next year, yeah. Um, yeah. and and the plan was PC and Switch because you kind of take the top and the bottom in terms of power and whatnot. Does the does it help kind of bring the PS4 and Xbox One versions kind of closer together, or do you think? Well, the the hope is that they we can. <laughs> We, the hope is that we can do them all. So when, yeah. when I said those two, it's like those are the development targets. So uh, when I said before about uh, making it what it needs to be, uh, Mark and I are saying the same thing. So it's going to be a good game, but in my opinion, it's like all those little things, all those polished passes that mm. take a good game and make it like a really great experience because you have time to add all those tiny little details like, you know, when you, you move something in like a menu and you're just like, oh, that feels really nice. Or like there's like a little extra animation from a character or a screen and it just, it's it's like a ton of work for a lot of things that you don't really notice consciously, but you you kind of just feel. Mm-hmm. And and that's the the kind of stuff that I, I, I'm, I'm generally talking about. Like that's, that's yeah. the kind of attention that I want to be able to sort of like lavish on this game because mm-hmm. I, I, I really like it. I really like this game. And I, I want it to be the, the best that it can be. And so for for people who are kind of looking at Fig, who might not know it before, or or they have their own sort of uh, game, how, like, um, how do you feel? Like, have you guys ever kind of used Kickstarter in terms of launching something to get funded? Or no, this is our first time doing crowdfunding. This is our first time, so. So we can't really do a Kickstarter versus Fig thing, but how do you how do you feel the whole Fig sort of uh, process has gone in terms of just like how easy it was, how to get everything up and going? Um, you had a good start. There's still t- uh, almost 22 days or 21 days. There's over 21 days left still in the in the, um, in the in the campaign. So lots of time. Like how do you like overall? How do you feel about like everything that's kind of uh, happened for anyone who's curious about whether they go the Kickstarter or the Fig route? I, I think it's a little bit too early to tell right now because yeah. we're we're just over a week into it. So, I mean, like you're some of the first media <laughs> that's, that's reached out for interviews and stuff like that. So, so we're we're hoping to see uh, a lot more of that in the coming week. And it, I think our main goal is to just get as many eyes on the project um, right now as possible uh, because it's. I, I think it's a very unusual game to put out for crowdfunding mm-hmm. uh, because like there's there's nothing really like it out there. So people can't look at it and say, oh, this is a type of game that I really like. So I just know I'm going to like this and I'm going to back this thing. Uh, and it's it's really it's it's kind of like hard to sell that because there's no there's no real like comparable out there. So that, yeah. we we just we just need to get. Yeah, we just need to get as many people's eyes on this as possible, and hopefully we can find those people that are like, yes, like this gameplay looks cool. Yes, this story clicks with me. Or yes, I, I like I like these characters. Because um, one of the big things in our game is like you can you can uh, choose the couple you want. Mm-hmm. And at first it seemed like a really natural thing to put in, but when we put that in front of people at like PAX, people like really... Like there was there was some strong feedback about that, uh, and it kind of like uh, took us by surprise. Like people really seemed to enjoy the game when it was in their hands and everything it let them do. Um, anyway, I'm just sorry, I'm just rambling on. No, so uh, I just want to I just want to clarify. You're talking about like good feedback, right? Because what you're, cause oh, what you're oh, saying yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. we <laughs> had some strong emotional reactions to the game. Like we had people like hands over their mouths like some like glassy <laughs> eyes uh when people found out that it was uh mark had been in a long distance relationship and he was the designer and it was sort of based on that that people would just like spill their guts to him um the yeah it was bringing it to packs like so so for like big milestones for us showing it at the experimental gameplay workshop mm-hmm. and just seeing all the feedback on that 
that was a huge team morale boost. And then finally being able to show it at PAX was another like huge morale boost because you kind of work with your head down on these things and you don't you don't come up that often. Um, so you, you don't know um, how people are going to react to it. And it, it, I was just floored with the reaction we got at PAX. I can't, because uh, one thing, sorry, that's my dog barking in the background. Um, what I, You're saying it's kind of a little bit hard to kind of, uh, like you said, people kind of go and see, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a platformer, like it's a little bit of a platformer, it's a little bit of a puzzle game. Uh, you kind of combine those two things. Um, man, my dog, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what I think one thing that we haven't really touched on that much is just the game looks gorgeous like your art like who who does the art um and let's talk about the soundtrack too uh i might even just go pause this podcast and yell at my dog but actually i'm going to do that right now sorry sorry yeah, that I'll, just, I'll, I'll do the art question mark yeah sure so yeah what i was what i wanted to kind of say is just like let's give a shout out to kind of who's doing the art and the soundtrack because i think the game is like super unique looking as well as as what you have going um, and it looks gorgeous. So why don't we just kind of give a shout out or talk about the art a little bit. Great. Uh, yeah. So our art process is um, usually a really painful one <laughs> because we never, <laughs> we, we never go with the, um, with the, the direct style of the artist. What we do is we try to build something that's uh, custom for the game. Uh, we did that with henchmen and we thought that we got a really good reaction from the art there. So we wanted to do the same thing for um, a fold apart and it was um, a lot, a lot of iteration. So uh, we have we 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 started out with our uh, main th- artist uh, Don, who's a, a really experienced three D character artist. Mm. And so we started working on designs, and then we we brought in another um, another uh, concept artist, Jonathan, and then we we iterated with him a bunch, and uh, it got it to like the sort of like the the paperish feel, um, but it it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite there. And eventually, we ended up working with our, our current two uh, D and concept lead, Stephanie. And so we, you just we, you just do experiments, uh, because you you. One of the thing was we knew what the game had to feel like, but we didn't know exactly what it needed to look like. Mm. And so we'd see a lot of stuff, and we'd be like, okay, we know this isn't the game. We don't know what the game is yet, but we're confident that when we see it, we'll know it. So basically, as as like a team, we just collected tons and tons of like uh, inspirational like sources. So we'd build like these these uh, not quite style bibles, but more like sort of uh, inspirational material. And so the uh, Stephanie just kept iterating and iterating and trying different designs and styles. And then finally, we found something. I, I can't remember. I can't remember what the first piece was. Uh, I think it might have been like a piece of landscape and we thought that like that felt good. And then so we started working on what does the world look like and then what do the characters look like in this world? And then we we latched onto some character traits. We built out a couple of characters and then we went back to the world again and then rebuilt the world to match the characters. Um, so it was just just this long circuitous route of constant experimentation to kind of get to where we are now but but once we hit it we we knew that we we'd found something special um sound much less painful uh we work with a group out uh out west called power up audio uh again they worked with us on henchmen and they did a fantastic job like we'd give them lists of uh inspirations and references and we'd we'd have meetings about like what we wanted the game to feel like and sound like and they'd they'd pitch us something and everything they pitch us is like amazing so for the the sound on this we were kind of going for um kind of like up meets la la land uh so you've got that that sort of light airy feeling of the music of up where it's like it's like highly melodic but it's it's not it's not dense mm-hmm. it's um and then uh, La La Land, which was um, very sort of like, I guess, theme 
focused in its composition. So like each character had their own sort of like melody. And then when they're together, the melodies kind of work together. Um, yeah. And so uh, Riley, the, the composer over there, uh, he's been doing a, a great job. And you can hear uh, some of the soundtrack samples on the, uh, the fig page. Yeah. So everything is on the fig page. Uh, again, it's a fig dot code slash a fold apart. Um, it's on, I'll put up, I'll post this on Toronto, the whole interview on TorontoGainDose.com, so I'll, I'll make sure to link it there. But there is a story on there right now. I'll be tweeting it out. I want to be supporting it uh, at the end of the night just to get you, help you get over that 7,800 hump. Um, thanks so much, guys, for, for joining me, kind of talking to me about uh, your history and, and a full departure. Is there anything that you kind of want to, that maybe we didn't get to that you want to mention real quick about anything that we kind of discussed or... Sure. Uh, this is this is more uh, plugging the the fig campaign, but um, I know a lot of campaigns offer like uh, a digital art book with some of their deluxe editions. But from the story I just told you about our art, um, you know, it's going to have a lot of weird, varied stuff inside of it because it just took it was so much work to to finally land on that style. So I'm I'm hoping that's going to turn out really interesting. Yeah. So the the two kind of um, I guess I'll just call them like lower, like the two kind of lower tiers is the $20 gets you $20 gets you a copy of the game uh, and as well as your name in the credits. But then the $40 is what gets you a copy of the game, but then the, also the digital copy of uh, the soundtrack and the art book and, uh, and wallpaper for your phone. So um, those are, those are, and obviously there's more after, after that, but those are probably going to be the two most common ones that I'm, I'm guessing. Um Awesome. Thanks again, guys, uh, for everything. Um, again, it's uh, a fold apart from Lightning Rod Games. Uh, you can check them out, fig.co slash fold apart. Uh, it'll be on Charming Game Devs and on Twitter and all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Oh, wait a second. Oh, I should I also shout out, shout out our <laughs> animator, David, because we talked about every artist but David. David's doing a great job on the animations. <laughs> They're very touching. Thanks, David. <laughs> all right, perfect. Thanks, guys.